In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has come in order that we may see, and see a little differently. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, welcome to all of you who are watching the live stream. We hope that you are able to follow along with us throughout this entire experience. So, I'm going to start off with a story about when I was uh, in late high school. (coughs) And when I was in late high school, I I, uh, was enamored with graffiti. Um, And not just kind of the the graffiti that you find on the inside of a bathroom stall someplace, but enamored with the the sort of artful graffiti that you can find uh, in in certain places. And so one of the things that I was able to do was I was able to find a magazine that was filled with pictures of all of this this graffiti. And I loved this magazine. It was great. I went through it and and was able to watch it, and and it was a really great thing. And as I was reading through the magazine, I, I got to the end of the the part of the magazine where all of the ads are when when you you look and you you find those ads. And one of the ads was for free stickers. And I was like, free stickers? That's awesome. I am going to get free stickers. And all you had to do was you had to send a self-addressed stamped envelope to this guy named Shepard Ferry. Now, that name might sound familiar to you now because Shepard Ferry is a big deal. But back in the day, Shepard Ferry was really kind of an unknown nobody. And what Shepard Ferry had done was he had produced a whole bunch of stickers that said, Andre the Giant has a posse on them. Uh, and, and all of these, these stickers that said, Andre the Giant has a posse on them uh, were, were, were his little experiment. In fact, when I got the stickers back, I, I got a whole bunch of stickers. I think I got like 20, 25 stickers. And all 25 of, the, of those stickers came and they came with this little letter, this little manifesto of uh, why these stickers were being sent to me for free. I, I got free stickers. And the manifesto was this, that Shepard Ferry said, this is my experiment in a thing called phenomenology. And what he said was that what he wanted us to do, these people who had received all of these stickers, is he wanted us to go out and he wanted us to put these stickers everywhere we could possibly do it. And so all of a sudden I understood why he was putting this ad in a graffiti magazine. And so he he said, I want you to go out there and I want you to put these stickers wherever you possibly can. And here's the reason why. The reason that I want you to put all of these stickers in all of these different places is that I have this feeling, I have this theory, this hypothesis that when somebody sees this weird sticker with a picture of Andre the Giant on it that says Andre the Giant has a posse, they're going to start wondering about their lives. They're going to start thinking through, okay, what kind of neighborhood am I in that there is this weird sticker that is up? Or what kind of library am I in and who's in this library with me that there is a, a Andre the Giant sticker inside of this book? Or a, whatever it is. And, and he said, people are going to start wondering about their location. They're going to start wondering about their lives. They're going to start wondering about where it is they are, and they're going to start to look at their lives in a deeper, more meaningful sense 
Because all of a sudden, what they have known about life is suddenly changed. Their eyes are open to new things. Their eyes are open to ideas that maybe perhaps they didn't consider before. And so, of course, I went out and I got rid of all of my stickers all over the city of St. Louis. And uh, I'm, I apologize to the people of the city of St. Louis now. But I'm hoping that some people did do what Shepherd Ferry was hoping that that sticker would do. That they would look at their lives in a new way. And that they would look at their lives in a way that uh, all of a sudden brought more meaning and more impact to them. And so uh, then we get into this gospel reading, this gospel reading where somebody who has never seen before all of a sudden is able to see. And uh, there's something about that where he's able to see something new in his life. Of course, we're all dealing with that kind of an idea right now. We're all dealing with that idea where we suddenly are stuck in a moment in our culture, a moment in our time when suddenly we start looking at the world with different eyes. We start considering our lives in different ways. We start looking more deeply at what it means to be alive. And we start doing that because we can't do things like go to work and go to school and go to the places that we would normally go. And suddenly we're stuck in this sort of phenomenological experiment where we are being asked to look at things in a whole new light. And of course, when we are asked at looking at things in a whole new light, we we start to get kind of confused about what's going on in our lives. And certainly that was the case for the disciples right away when they see this man who is born blind. They're they're walking along, they see this man born blind, and they ask Jesus this question that, that doesn't seem to make sense to us, but made total sense to them. They said, Lord, this guy is blind. Why? Why is this guy blind? Was it his fault? Or was it the fault of his parents? And those, those are the only two choices for them. They, they're going, okay, it's either his fault, either he did some kind of a sin, uh, and, and, uh, and maybe he did some kind of a sin in utero, maybe he had this generational sin, who knows? But whatever it is, hey, was it his fault, or, or was it the fault of his parents? Did his parents do something bad? And then all of a sudden they were given this sort of curse of having a son who is born blind and they have to suffer along with him because of that. Of course, we kind of start asking some of those questions too. Why is this COVID-19 virus all around us? Why, Why do we have to stay inside of our houses? Why do we have to do church on the internet instead of church in person? And and all of those questions come up. And we did we sin, Lord? Was there there a problem with our sinfulness that that you are now? telling us that we need to uh, retreat from our lives and focus on you. And maybe that's not a bad way of looking at it, but I don't think that that's exactly what we're supposed to walk away from this story with. You see, what we're supposed to walk away from this story with is not this sense of judgment and of doom, that all of a sudden we go, okay, we know that our sins have consequences, and, and sure enough, those consequences are that we live in a sinful world, a world that is filled with diseases that uh, will attempt to kill us. But we also know a Savior who has come into human history 
and a Savior who has come into human history in a way that he provides us with what we need in order to live our lives well and to live our lives with new eyes, with new perspective on the world. And that's the case for this man who is born blind. All of a sudden, he is able to see. Because Jesus stoops down and he really kind of recreates his eyes. If you think about it, the the way that God created humanity, it's distinct from the way that he created everything else in the story of Genesis. In the story of Genesis, you have God creating everything else by simply speaking it into being and saying, let there be light, let there be platypuses, let there be this, let there be that. But when it comes to humankind, what he does is he stops and he forms humankind out of clay. He forms Adam out of clay. And so when he stoops and he picks up some mud and he puts it over the man's eyes, there's a sense there where you have an understanding that what Jesus is doing is he's developing creation all over again. That he's working in the spirit of the Father in order to restore this man's sight. And that as he's doing that, he's doing work, which is the big problem that everybody in the story has with what's happening here, is that when Jesus stoops and he spits on the ground and he makes mud, that that's work. And work, well, that's not allowed on the Sabbath. And so because work is not allowed on the Sabbath, there's this this sort of sense of everybody is going, well, all right, now who's the sinner? And they're, they're playing pin the tail on the sinner. You know, was it this man? Was it his parents? Or was it Jesus, this Sabbath breaker? And, and so they, they start asking this man, and this man gets, gets really sort of upset with them, and, and then they go and they talk to his parents, and they see if they can find some other information from his parents, and his parents pass the buck, and they're like, well, he's of age, go and talk to him. And so they bring him back in, and he says, why, why are you asking me again? You should go talk to the guy. You should go talk to him. And they go, we're not talking to him, because he's a sinner. And there's all of this sort of fear of getting contaminated. And we don't know anything about that. We know a lot about that. We know a lot about a fear of being contaminated. We know a lot about a fear that keeps us indoors, a fear that makes us wash our hands over and over again. And a lot of times that fear is not a bad thing. Uh, That fear is a good thing and drives us to do the stuff that we're supposed to do. And yet... If it's just about fear, it's just legalism. If it's just about fear, it's just about saving my own skin. If you're washing your hands and the only reason that you're washing your hands is so that you don't contract the virus, then that's good. But it's not as good as washing your hands and washing them so that you don't possibly share that virus with other people. There's a sense to which we have a responsibility in all of this. But that responsibility doesn't come from fear. That responsibility comes from actually courage. A courage that is given to us by a courageous Lord who stepped into this world, who 
spent time with the people that were considered unclean, like this blind man, who decided that he was going to break a rule about the Sabbath so that he could help this man. And that's something that we have to wrestle with as well, as we consider what it is that we are called to do as Christians in this moment where we are called to distance from one another socially. Because we are called to do that. And that's an important thing. We are called to stay away from each other and to be safe and and to make sure that our family members aren't doing things that are risky. We're also called to be more than that as the church. We're called to love one another and we're called to love those around us. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. But there are things that we can do that help us to show that we're approaching this in a way that is not legalistic, but rather that we're approaching this virus and we're approaching this outbreak in a way that is courageous, that we're giving that, given that opportunity and even that responsibility to be courageous and to show others how much they are loved. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to go out and hug your neighbor. They probably won't appreciate that. But what that does mean is that you have the opportunity to pick up a phone. You have the opportunity to uh, call somebody and to say, hey, we haven't talked for a while. I don't know about you, but I have tons of contacts in my phone whom I haven't talked to in a long, long time. I have tons of Facebook friends that I haven't talked to in a long, long time. I have tons of people that I'm connected to in some way, shape, or form that I now all of a sudden have this opportunity to be courageous with. And sometimes that's awkward, like, hey, we haven't talked in a while, I'm sorry. But take courage. Reach out. Reach out to your neighbors. Reach out to the people who live directly next to you. And without getting up in their business, reach out to them and ask them, hey, do you you need anything? I got some toilet paper. (laughs) Reach out to them. Be courageous. Be loving. Because that's the God who loved you first. The God who stepped into the messy middle of your life. The God who came into your life and broke one of the biggest rules that anybody knows about God. He broke that rule that said that God cannot die. That's way bigger than breaking the Sabbath. He broke a rule that we sort of know inherently, that God can't die. But God did die. And the whole reason that he died was that he courageously marched to that cross so that he could forgive your sins and show you how much you are loved. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, may you this week have your eyes opened to the opportunities that are around you. The new opportunities to love God, 
and to open up your Bible a little bit extra or to watch a, a great video or to uh, listen to a great podcast or, or whatever it is. May you see those opportunities to love God, but may you also see those opportunities to love your neighbor responsibly because you were loved first. You were loved by a God who broke all of the rules of the universe and gave his life for you. May you do only a fraction of that for your neighbors. Amen.